Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Food, Wine, and Whiskey in Your Own Backyard. I'm your host, and with me again today is Chris Chambers. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, Rob. How are you? Doing good. I'm really excited today. This we is a good a, day. It is a good day. We have a, a I, I'm going to call him a friend of mine, as well as one of my, uh, one of the winemakers I like the most. Um, we're very excited to have him on the podcast today. Uh, it's Glenn Hugo. Glenn, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for uh, we're doing well. Thank you for coming on and, and joining us for a little conversation about you and about uh, Gerard and Hugo Family Cellars. We appreciate your time. Yeah, great to be here. So let's jump right into it. I, I met you uh, through Chris a few years ago. You you, uh, you live in Napa, but I'm going to let you tell your story. But you have a little tie to to Texas, more probably than a little tie. You have a tie to Texas. And I met you a few years ago at a wine dinner that you all were doing. So that's that's kind of how I got that connection with you. But Chris has known you for quite a while. Chris, how does this uh, relationship go back for you and you and Glenn? Probably since what do you think, Glenn? Ninety eight. That that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah I think probably around ninety eight. We were, we were both teen. We were both uh, you know seven eight years old uh, <laughs> playing in the yard. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's no, been that quite a while. Yeah. So you guys started off together in, in the wine industry, is that right, Glenn? You, you're originally you're not from Houston. Chris is from this area, but you, you came to Houston from where? I mean, kind of how did you get your path to to Houston and then ultimately to Napa? Well, uh, it, through the restaurant industry primarily, uh, and that's where Chris and I met. Uh, he he was also. Uh, good friends even before she was my my wife um pamela pam and i i got to houston working for a restaurant company that chris and i were both working for um landy's restaurants and we i started in el paso which was was my hometown and eventually got out of college and decided i wanted to move and took some roots up in austin for a hot second before landry's swooped me up and uh, had me on the road opening restaurants probably for the next five or six years of my life. That'll wear uh, you exclusively. out. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun though. I got to, I got to travel the U S and, you know, I used to tell people, I'd, you know, I'd go to somewhere like New York to open a restaurant and I went, I would go from y'all to use guys, you know, the <laughs> quite an experience to uh, get to travel and meet people. And, uh, but eventually, um, as that got a little, you know, got a little exhausting at times and not having like a real home, uh, literally living out of, uh, corporate apartments and hotels and stuff. Um, I asked to, you know, be stationed somewhere and that ended up being Houston, which is where, you know, they were located out of. Um, so I kind of took roots there. I, that's when I would eventually meet Pam, my wife to be, and we had, we'd fallen in love with wine, just through the job, um, kind of became the wine guy of our group, um, heavily involved with it, I should say. Everybody was into it, but I just got more and more um, excited by it. And Pam and I started spending quite a bit of time of our free time whenever we could um, to fly out to California and try to immerse ourselves even further. Um, back then, I think you could get a flight uh, from Southwest uh to like Sacramento for forty nine ninety five or whatever, and wow. 
really easy to fly out there and, you know, dig in for a few days and then come home. Yeah, you, um, you were smart to take advantage of that back then. I wish I had a, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, that led into just becoming more and more um, excited about learning the actual production side, the winemaking. So, um, the so it was the restaurant business that got you into wine that kind of exposed you to it. And did that start in El Paso? Because I'm from El pa- I'm not from El Paso, but I lived there a lot of years. My wife is from El Paso. And, you know, I'm into wine now, but I don't ever remember hearing a lot about wine or people drinking wine or wine being suggested at restaurants in El Paso. You know, it was about margaritas and beer when you went out in, in El Paso because it was yeah. usually Mexican food. And it, 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 even back then, there's, you know, there's definitely more of a culture there now. It's nothing like Houston. Um, but um, back then, it was, you know, my, my job at Landry's where I got introduced, really introduced to wine. And then as that grew, traveling around, I started getting involved with having to write the wine list, uh, which, you know, any, any opportunity I could have to learn more about the products and the, um, the sourcing from wherever it came from uh, to the actual winemaking side of it, you know, I considered it part of my job. So I took it, you know, pretty seriously. But, you know, it also turned into a passion, too. It's just... Um, as most of us, you know, get bit by that bug, <laughs> it's kind of infectious. We just keep wanting to learn more and more. So it, it bites hard, Glenn. <laughs> it bites hard. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, yes, you know, it does. as I know, both of you have felt that bite. Yeah, Chris, many times. Yeah, we'll feel it tonight yeah. after we talk to you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so. You went from uh, traveling around for Landry saying, hey, I need, I need to settle down. I need to put some roots down somewhere. I'm kind of tired of traveling. And Houston was it. And you worked here in Houston. How long before you and Pam got married and then ultimately decided to uh, make that trip to Napa permanently? Uh, I guess it was a couple, probably about three or three years or so that I was actually stationed out of, out of Houston. Um, and Pam and I met through the jobs and um, – we started uh, started dating, as I mentioned, you know, on these trips, whenever we could, you know, just became more and more of a, a passion-driven uh, situation. And she, um, she and I would talk about it often, how great would it be to be out here. And, but about a week after, into our, our marriage, um, I dropped the kind of uh, bombshell of let's talk about, you know, moving out napa and i'd really like to learn how to make wine and not just not just appreciate all the nuances of enjoying it and drinking it i want to understand how to make it and you know get my hands dirty so um you know that's that's a big thing to ask of your new wife who's uh lived in one town all of her life practically um she uh, went to jersey village and she's you know, all of her family's there and here I am getting married to her and, you know, coming they, up with this crazy idea for us to pack it up and move. Yeah, her so. family, I'm sure, didn't expect that, did they? No, I mean, I <laughs> guess they weren't too surprised because of how much time we spent out here in California. Sure. But um, they didn't necessarily want to encourage it because they didn't want to, you know, they were going to miss her. Um, of course, you know, now it is a great place for all of our fam- family and friends to come and visit. But... Um, you know, it's it's uh, it was a big leap, big yeah. leap of faith, and uh, you know, it's not, it has it's not that it's 
ever been really easy. There's always been a lot of hard work involved, but, you know, we grew up in that, that environment with our previous jobs and around people like Chris who know how to work hard. And, um, it's just, you know, that's who you are. So working hard at it wasn't at all the problem. It was just getting there and doing it. And, uh, Fortunately, doors started opening for me because of that. So. Well, I, I thought it was awesome, and, and you know, big kudos to your wife because, uh, as I understand the story, and tell me if this is wrong, you guys got married April two thousand three, and by October of that same year, you were packed up and heading to Napa. Yeah, we. Uh, well, I packed her up, moved us out here, <laughs> and then I came back and worked out uh, three months of. Uh, you know, a, a leave for Landry, so I didn't leave them hanging as much as possible. And eventually, we we uh, got to spend the holidays in Napa for the first time. That's awesome. So, yes, kudos to her. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big jump. I mean, just to close your eyes and jump yeah. off the diving board, that's, you know, off the deep end. So you, you go to Napa and you say, okay, honey, it's October. You're going out. I'm going to be out shortly. I'm, I'm guessing Pam – got a job, but what was your plan? I mean, did you have some leads on, on being able to get a job or were you going out blind and just saying, Hey, I'll find something when I get there. Yeah, I was pretty blind. I, uh, I did have some, some people I'd worked with in the industry and asked them for, you know, any, any, uh, advice. Uh, some of them connected me, uh, with other people out here. Uh, probably, you know, one of my favorite connections came with, uh, being able to talk to Niels Vingi, which, you know, he's a pioneer in the Napa wine industry. And, you know, he spent a good 20 minutes telling me, you know, his thoughts on things I should do and look for. And um, and then another great example is I got to talk to the people at Provenance Winery, uh, which was new at the time. And Tom Rinaldi had, you know, given up his tenure, so to speak, at Duckhorn. To, to move to Provenance to start this new project. And I went there and they told me, you know, we don't have any jobs. Sorry, you know, thank you for, you know. And I'd ask them, you know, no problem. I appreciate you kind of telling me about everything that's going on with y'all. If you hear of any other opportunities around the valley, I'd love to get connected to them. And next thing I know, three or four days later, they called me back in and said, you know what, we're going to make room for you. So, uh, that was great, and that that was uh, my first opportunity to work in an actual winery. Uh, got the job the same day I got a second job, because you kind of have to do that out in California if you're not making much money, because it's expensive, as we all know. Sure. But um, the same day I got the job at the the winery, I also got a job at a wine bar, uh, which is you know the thing I had more experience with, obviously. And so I would work uh, at the winery throughout the day and then literally changing my clothes in my Jeep while I'm driving to the wine bar, um, work the night at the wine bar. And I, uh, as much as the winery was an amazing experience, the wine bar was equally um, a great experience because I started to meet a lot of people. uh, Napa was a lot quieter back then, so everybody kind of hung out at this one place that I was working at, so started getting opportunities to work with other winemakers just you know um, a lot of times it was for free just helping them out on a certain day of the week or even weekend um usually you know usually there's some free wine in there if i was lucky enough but more just to kind of pick up opportunities and that wine bar is where i got to meet marco de julio who was and continues to be involved with gerard 
and he gave me my first harvest at Girard in 2006 through that experience. Go ahead, Chris. Was that the wine, uh, the wine bar in downtown Napa? Yeah, the uh, the Bounty Hunter. There you go, the Bounty you know, Hunter. It was easy to slide into being from Texas, you know, a little barbecue place and, you know, really great wines some cool beers on top. Well, we went, um, yeah, we went the first few years we went, and it's it's a cool place. Yeah. Yeah, great experience. I, I can't tell you how many times I'd be reading the Wine Spectator and look up and in walks that person, you know, that was on the cover or whatever. Is that right? Um, yeah. That's pretty yeah, cool. It was, it was very cool. And, you know, the, the actually some of the best interactions I ever had there with people I would, wouldn't know who they were for, you know, four or five visits. And then finally they would share with me, you know, I'm, I'm so-and-so Mandavi or, you know, just, you know, somebody who's either they are or their family's hugely connected in the wine industry. And, you know, just sitting there talking to them over a drink is, you know, <laughs> kind of old bartender, uh, you know, logic and, and uh, you know, philosophy that you get people to open up to you and they tell you all kinds of things. And it's pretty cool to meet these people in, uh, without it being the pressure of, do you know who I am or me even, you know, getting over excited about who they were. Well, I think that's because they're coming. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey, Bar and Girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-hosts sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. To you, you're not going to them. But it's amazing yeah, that it, as much wine that comes out of Napa, how small it is. Relatively speaking, very mm-hmm. small. Yeah. Small town. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that was a great experience for you there. So you, you get uh, to, to Girard and you work here for her. So how does that go? You started there 2006 and kind of what's that trajectory of you uh, starting there to where you are now? Um, well, I didn't expect anything other than what they initially offered me, which was it was just to work harvest. Um, luckily, the bounty hunter was supporting me doing that, so I had a job after, if need be. And the owner of the bounty hunter uh, became, you know, a very good supporter and mentor. And you know, he made the deal with me that you know he would he would help me do whatever I needed to. So uh, harvest ended and they still needed help and wanted to offer me a position. So I continued to do both jobs for a while uh, until it got to a point where it was obvious that this is really what I wanted. And uh, Gerard seemed like a really great home. Uh, it was much, much smaller than not that we're not huge, right? We're not, you know, a massive winery by any, any sense, but we were, you know, under about 10,000 cases when I started. And, um, that position as just a full-time employee in the cellar um, grew uh, within a couple of years as a cellar master. And another year or two after that, the, the uh, assistant winemaker. And then in 2010, um, the, the, the current winemaker at the time, Zach Long, who's now uh, uh, at Tundee Winery over in Sonoma, 
and he, he's he's my best friend and his wife is my wife's best friend and um we're all you know interconnected some way uh he was the winemaker and he moved over to Cundy and they offered me the job so pretty pretty good you know i, I said a couple few years but we're talking 06 to 2010 so i guess about four years or so i moved into the the role that's and, pretty quick. I don't. Uh, I don't know the world of wine, but that seems like you, you excelled in that industry pretty quick. I mean, you picked it up. You you gained the knowledge, and and you know I don't know how much you had going in, but that's uh, a fast track. Yeah, you were on the fast track. Yeah. It sounds like, Lynn. Yeah, when I say it aloud, it kind of seems wow, that was quick. Um, but you know, I had I had really good mentors and teachers. Uh, Zach, as I mentioned, Marco's another. Um, even back backing up to Tom Rinaldi. Um, you know, people in the industry out, the, out here, um, for the most part, if they see you're, you're hardworking and you're passionate about what you're doing, a lot of doors open up for you. And there's a lot of knowledge that can be had in every day and every conversation throughout the day. Something I try and illustrate to my crew now is like, you shouldn't walk out of this building without learning something new every day. And it's you, you asking the questions or you opening your ears to it. And you'll find out that the industry is not, a, you know, a very secretive industry. It's not like somebody has this, you know, secret, you know, super secret code to anything. Um, but they will they will share with you. And I worked several other uh, sellers as well uh, in the interim between when I got there and when I started at Girard. And these small little sellers, you know, you can spend all day talking with a winemaker and learn tons of stuff if you just do that. And sure. Even as I got more acclimated uh, bounty hunter in the bar, you know, when I felt comfortable with the people I'd met, winemakers, asking to, you know, help them on a day at their winery and being op- welcomed with open arms is just proof to me that, you know, you can, you, you know, I don't have a, a degree in, in enology. I didn't go to, you know, UC Davis and I don't, I don't question anybody that did. That's a great thing. But uh, everything I've learned has been, you know, in the cellar and being taught by a lot of great people. <clears throat> Excuse me. But you're, you're obviously a great student because uh, you absorbed what they taught and you've been the head winemaker now, what, 10 years? Uh, yeah, we're getting close to that. Yeah. Close to 10 years. Um, yeah. Well, let's get into the fun stuff. Let's, let's talk about Gerard. What's going on with Gerard. Uh, I know in the last, year and a half or so there's been uh, one cool thing that we kind of already mentioned which is the calistoga lo- location um but you guys have two tasting rooms in napa so when people want to come out and, and visit uh gerard and, and taste the wines that you guys are putting out uh they have the yauntville location in, in calistoga is that right that's correct um the Yauntville location we've had since 2007 um you know, Yonville back then was a little sleepier. Now it's kind of the, the hip spot to go to. There's a lot of great restaurants. That's kind of what has brought everybody there, but now even more. So there's more tasting rooms. Uh, we're, we're tiny little tasting room, uh, but we get a lot of a lot of great guests walking through, including return. Uh, it's it, it's almost like a, a wine bar sometimes in that sense. There's locals, there's uh, reoccurring uh, wine club members. Um, and it's a pretty casual place. Um, my, my reference, if you're ever in, in Yonville, is we're next to the one gas station. You really can't miss us. So <laughs> that's an easy locator there. Yeah. Um, 
whereas in Calistoga, when we built it, we wanted it to be a little more um, elevated in a sense. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't show up there and feel comfortable and casual. There's no, you know, there's no, in my mind, uh, pretense of, you know, there's, there's not that uh, feeling that, you know, you need to know everything in the world about wanting to walk in the place. But we definitely have a much bigger patio. We have some nice, cool, uh, laid-back, comfortable couches inside, a little fireplace. Um, there's even a larger room if we ever had enough, or if you had a, a larger party that we wanted to book there. And we do try and uh, represent some wines specifically uh, in Calistoga that we don't in Yonville. Um, in fact, I'm I'm continuing to look for wines specifically that, that are Calistoga designate. Uh, this year, we we crushed some Charbono, which um, was a lot of fun because I've never made one. So first go at it, and uh, nice. you know, it's kind of a unique variety that not everybody gets to see that often. It used to be around a lot more in the past, um, and you know, there's um, we started producing a, a wine called a, a Valdigui or Valdigui. Um, as an example, some the, the vines are just about as old as I am, so almost 50 years old. Um, and they're there in Calistoga. We only make you know a couple few hundred cases of it, but it's an example of us um, trying to offer our guests something unique to come up to Calistoga and you know sit down and relax and enjoy some different items with, with us as well. I think I think it's exactly that. Sandra and I were were lucky enough to come this past February, and it, it's it's uh, beautiful. It's it is relaxing. We we enjoyed coming in. It's it's a on a beautiful piece of property, and you've got the vines growing. You know, I don't I don't know how far, Glenn, thirty five forty yards right from the front steps. You've got vines growing out front. I mean, it's just really yep. uh, a really nice place. We we enjoyed coming in and visiting there and getting to see everything. But but one of the other things about that location is um, the winemaking part. It's it's kind of a state of the art winemaking that you've put back in the back where you're actually producing the wine, right? Yeah, and um, you know from the get go, coming out of uh, working, you know when I first started with Gerard, we were up on the hillside, and I feel like everything had to be started with a, a hammer. You know, uh, <laughs> we've used a lot of old equipment, and <laughs> we just got by. And, over the years, we've, we've advanced, um, but, you know, up until we moved into this new facility, we were in a, uh, you know, warehouse, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, being in, like, a warehouse environment, but... Um, but it's we, nice to be in this new space. Make... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, sure. and even more improvements uh, from, you know, we finally got a solar um, um, source on our roof, um, really, really advanced... Uh, um, heating and cooling system for uh, both our tanks and our, our barrel rooms and humidification. Um, there's there's a lot of cool tweaks that we did to this. Some of which we were you know was required because you know even you know ten years from, you know away from the last time we moved into a place, um, you know the county has you know even more energy efficiencies and things they want you to put in. So I mean LED lights everywhere. They're censored, you know. This, those little things start adding up, and um, and we haven't stopped. We've just spent another almost half a million dollars in equipment um, over the last um, six months. Some of which we're still installing right now. Wow! And again, to 
to look at resources, both, you know, there's a financial side trying to save labor and things like that. Um, but also a safety consideration. And then lastly, resources, making sure that, you know, we become more efficient with water, uh, is probably the biggest one, but, um, doing everything we can to make the place run as efficiently as we can. And it's a big investment, but, um, I gotta say, you know, it, it's a, a, a heck of a step up. And then the one thing, as you just mentioned, this is an estate. We, we've got vines on the property. We've got about 12 acres planted. Um, in the back of the facility, we planted more of a conventional set of uh, trellised rows. And while the easy answer would have been to plant Cabernet there, because it's Napa, um, we wanted to do something different. So we planted all these, what I call the other Bordeaux varieties, uh, so it's Malbec, Petit Verdot, and Cab Franc in the back <laughs> of the winery. And then wrapping the, the side of the winery and out front, um, we went what we would call old school. We, we decided to plant uh, mixed varieties. Um, I know I know what they are. I just don't know where they were planted, so they're mixed up. And do them head pruned. So the, what you would think of as the old style of uh, vineyard planting where it just literally grows up a stick and kind of sprawls out. Uh, looks like a little tree as the years pass. Um, those are the more, you know, what we used to plant in California ideology. And, um, you know, people would come to California from different parts of Europe, let's say, and they would uh, bring the cuttings of the grapes that they had in their, their little village. And they would plant a vineyard, not, not for thoughts of selling the wine, it was for their own personal consumption. And, we don't do that anymore. We think of, you know, well, it needs to be Cabernet, it needs to be these clones, it needs to be planted in this orientation with this type of trellising. Back then, you, you know, you just put sticks in the ground and tied a, tied a little vine to it. Um, just wanted then, to get some you know, fruit. There's still some of that around. Yeah. What, what was that? You, they just wanted to get fruit on the vine. They didn't really particularly care what it was. Just give me some, some fruit on the vine so I can yeah, make we're my gonna Yeah, uh, we're going to make home wine you know yeah. and just like we got a, a chicken for our eggs and cows for the milk and a vegetable garden for veggies this is just part of our you know it's a necessity lives, so. yeah yeah absolutely and we still we source some vineyards like that it's kind of back to that example i was talking about you know 50 you know 70 year old 100 year old plus vines that were likely you know planted for those reasons they weren't looking for a commercial opportunity Right. And the vineyards that you guys get, grow grapes or, or it, primarily, or is it Rutherford, Diamond Mountain, Oakville, and St. Helena? Uh, 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 yeah, those are a few of them. Uh, okay. I could keep going. We uh, we get grapes from Mount Veter, Atlas Peak, additionally. Okay. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if you said Oakville. Uh, yeah, Oakville. Howl Mountain. Howl um, Mountain, okay. You know, yeah, some Howl Mountain, Calistoga. We obviously just talked about, um, you know, pretty much all over the valley, um, which is awesome for me. It's um, it's one of my favorite parts of what we what we do. Is there's so much complexity and different. Um, you know, we I enjoy that we own some of the, the vineyards, but I also like that we can go out and source others. Um, I often quote that when I started there. I think we still have about 70% of the growers we were working with then are still around and we've added a lot more, but, um, 
that's you know that's working with people for over a decade and that's pretty pretty awesome that you have that kind of relationship with them yeah absolutely Um, they appreciate you know they work hard and they want to be proud of the wines they're made from their grapes so um it's also a compliment to me so it's great to have that complexity and diversity in, in your sourcing too so talk to me, Glenn, about some of the varietals you have. I mean, obviously you have the Cabernet Sauvignon, the Merlot, but some of the, you have some other different ones that you don't see all the time. Yeah, we we like to play. Um, sometimes it's you know really small production, two three hundred cases, as I was mentioning. Um, but the obvious, you know, uh, that you would see in a in a um, a store in Houston or the you know the big six, I, I like to call them Cab. Um, we also do a really, really fun Bordeaux red wine blend uh, called Artistry. Uh, and the obvious white Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc. And then for reds, um, I, we also distribute um, Zen and Petit Syrah, uh, which are a lot of fun for me. I, I enjoy those wines, um, especially when we're talking like barbecue and such. Absolutely. But, um so those, those are six that you see out in the market. And then but we have over 20, I think we're at like 22, 23 SKUs now. Um, we do we do some uh, really small production uh, Grenache. Um, I make a single varietal Mavedra. And then we also do a, a GSM, so Grenache, Syrah, and Mavedra blend, um, which I'm pretty passionate about because I've always been a fan of the Rhone. Um, and so those, those are fun to make. And then um, even the example I mentioned earlier, finding these older vine sources, um, one of the most popular wines we make with our wine club is a, a field blend that comes out of a vineyard that's, you know, 120-something years old. And um, we, we're pretty sure there's Zen and Petit Syrah and some other Rhone varieties in there, but we don't even know exactly what the grapes are Um because that's kind of not the point. We just want to make this field blend. So uh, to find that kind of that that sort of uh, source and be able to make a wine out of that, um, even on the white wine side, we, we now make a, a version of that called mixed whites. Um, and I'm probably forgetting a few here, but um, you do a phenomenal yeah, cab I, franc and petite verdot. If you want to throw that out there, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, the. Um, those are those other Bordeaux, even Malbec on its own, um, that I like. I like making just as single varietal wines. You you know um, those are my favorite, Glenn. The Malbec, that Petit Verdot, and that uh, Cap Franc. <laughs> you you yeah, are... it's, it's it's great to like introduce people to to those those varieties by themselves and, and kind of have a discussion about how they don't get all the they don't get all the press they deserve sometimes, but. Um, yeah, you know, it's really fun to be able to introduce people to them and enjoy them with them as well. So they they were typically a, a blending grape for the Merlot and the and the Cabernet Sauvignon, right? Thought of that way, and, yeah. and it's just been the yeah. last few years that they kind of stand well, on their own. And, and probably Petit Verdot and Malbec being the even more extreme. You know, you know, people rarely would bottle the, the PV by itself. Um, you know, Malbec had a lot more history and. and different parts of the world you know more specifically argentina but um you know they're really to me they're just really interesting wines to have on their their own i, I enjoy blending them in, into cabernet blends but um the nuances they can add to a red wine blend are pretty cool 
and to be able to try them on their own, you know, gives you a sense of what they do to the blend. So sure. Um, fun to introduce people to that. The other one that caught my eye was the gamay that you do. Yeah. So that, that's a fun one. Um, we got offered it. It's a, it's a small vineyard in Calistoga. And again, we wanted to try and offer some wines that, <coughs> excuse me, were, uh, you know, local to Calistoga's AVA to that appellation. Um, and, you know, we, we were told, you know, they're 50, almost 50 year old vines. So I was good to know about them. And we went and looked at them uh, at the time we were able to taste the fruit um, pretty close to maturity. And, um, you know, it's a kind of a funny story. It goes back to what I was alluding to earlier about some of these older vines. When the when the wine was present or the grapes were presented to me, they were presented to me as Gamay, and that initially is what we were told. So that's what we bottled as. Um, the new version of it is no longer a Gamay because we found out uh, more recently, um, due to an error uh, in one of the communications with our guys, the the brokers that brokered the deal, um, it wasn't actually Gamay; it was Valdez, and Valdez. Uh, also, you know, Gamay's histories in, in France, but more in Burgundy. Uh, Valdez's uh, history is in France, but more southern France, Languedoc and those areas. So um, they've often been confused in California, especially, you know, when things were brought out here and people didn't know exactly what they brought. Um, there's also, you know, over, over many, many years, things have kind of cross red and people are still not sure exactly what the, the variety is so here we were presented one wine and then it turns out it was another so um both it, the wine hasn't changed in that sense but um what we we're actually labeling it as now uh, has so uh, okay kind of going back to that the history of napa you know, a lot of history of older vines that um people are not always 100 percent positive what they are so kind of interesting that was one that i looked at and and it intrigued me because it, it looks it's, it's a blend that i hadn't had before so I, I definitely wanted to try that one or a varietal that i hadn't had before so i definitely wanted to try that one so curious yeah, yeah it's 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 unique it's it's um you know it, it's a less ripe style of, of of grape variety it doesn't get ripe or as ripe so it'll be you know 13 something percent alcohol um, and then I treated it in a sense, uh, you know, with less, less heavy handed oak. Um, you know, we didn't age it quite as long. Um, there was just kind of a, well, if, if this is what that variety likes to be, um, let's, let's try and keep it that way. So, um, and people seem to enjoy it. You know, it's, uh, it's a, a little more earthy, more kind of European style to it, but, still really fun to uh introduce people to and it doesn't doesn't take away from in my mind the fact that we still make plenty of like you know ripe california wines um they're bolder it's just uh, another you know another fun example of introducing people to not only uh, a different grape variety and varietal wine for that matter but also to the history you know the history of what california you know is, is done over the years especially in Napa and Sonoma just um there's been you know things get popular other things get ripped out and that's you know sometimes that's unfortunate when you see 
like the success we've seen in the water over the last, you know, 10 years or so, or uh, when Merlot got beat up, you know, it, it kind of got kicked around and, you know, it's not necessarily all deserved. There's, there's plenty of great examples of the wine. And the problem is when things get popular, they start um, getting kind of bastardized. And, you know, it's, it's no wonder people start getting away from them because they're really bad examples. And meanwhile, they ripped out these really cool old vines that were making good wine. So we found them to get. So we, we try and support it. You know, that, that Valdegui was going to get ripped out because we didn't buy it. So that was a good example of, yeah, we'll buy it. We'll, we'll support it, you know. Yeah, you talking about some of the other grapes. It just goes to show you can't believe what you see in a movie. And unfortunately, it's sad that that happened. Exactly, yeah. Talking about Merlot. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Merlot, Merlot got beat up in the movie. If, it, if you all remember the kind of the the, the way it went down uh, sideways, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and it was really unfair. I mean, there there is plenty of reasons why it happened, but there's there's you know some of my favorite wines is in Merlot based. Um, you know, it's just it got it got really popular and then you know started getting kind of overdone, and all it takes is people to latch on to something like that and. There it goes. And there are some fantastic Merlots out there. Yep. Yep, there are. So I understand going back a few years, is, is it, am I correct that you had your wine served at a very popular dinner? Yeah, yeah. We actually, um, I'll, I'll kind of tell the way the story went down with me. Was um, I was back in Texas uh, visiting family. And this was, uh, I guess, three years ago almost now. And I got a text from our wine, our, uh, our taste room manager. And it was a picture of a menu. And I didn't really pay attention to it other than my eyes went right for the food, you know, and the wine. <laughs> uh, and it was a really basic menu. It said, you know, it had uh, Caesar salad. And it was paired with a, a Sonoma shard. I think it was Chalk Hill or something like that. And then um, prime rib with mashed potatoes paired with Gerard Cabernet and then chocolate cake. And that was it. <laughs> it, was, it was probably as basic of menus you could get. And, was, and, you know, who knew how good the food was or not. But, you know, I looked at it like for half a second went, oh, that's nice, you know, <laughs> kind of, you know, boring menu. But that's not, you know, it's nice to see our name on the menu. Didn't even notice where it was from or anything. I just, just looked at the, the food and wine. And then about half an hour goes by, and, and she t- she texted me back. She goes, did you look at the menu? And I was like, yeah, it seemed kind of boring, you know. And she goes, no, no, read the read the title, like where the where the menu's from. And and I re- read it, and like, oh my gosh, okay, that's different. Um, because it was it was a it, as we may recall, it was the first uh, dip well, I guess diplomatic uh, visit of a foreign leader to the U.S. when uh, Donald Trump took office. Um, at Mar-a-Lago, the Chinese president, and um, I, I immediately flashed back to hearing him talk about the chocolate cake from that menu. He was very excited about his chocolate cake that he had, and um, but you know, to be served at a White House dinner—I mean, technically it was at Mar-a-Lago, but um, and the Chinese, the Chinese are you know uh, very—they latch on very quickly to um, whenever. Uh, something that served to you know their president 
and we immediately got bombarded uh, locally with uh, people coming in the tasting room of Chinese descent um, to the point where we just called ourselves sold out because we were getting so many requests for it. And we had to kind of wow. scramble to figure out what, what we were going to do. And now to this day, um, at least according to our distributor, we're the, even with what's going on with terrorists and everything else there, um, we are the number one selling premium uh, red wine, as we like to put it, <laughs> in China. I'm, I'm sure you could probably throw in some ifs and, and, and whatnot, you know, when you say that, but. Um, Still it, a nice honor. Really well yeah, very cool. I mean, yeah. It's really cool. And, and nice that the president of the United States, whoever he is, wanted your wine at his meal. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I I always think about you know some of the the history and in, in like people like Schramsberg being served uh, and that put them kind of on the map. And you know, there's just there's there's been a lot of those stories where you know uh, to be a part of that uh, you know league, so to speak of having your wine, you know, served at, at that kind of momentous occasion, you know. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. So getting back to winemaking, uh, you've been doing this 10 years now. Uh, how much does your technique or how much, you know, do you experiment and, and does science play a part in, you know, what you try to put in the bottle? Does it or do you kind of say, hey, this is my lane, this is what I know works and I stay right here? I, I kind of picture you as a guy that tries to, kind of get out of the box a little bit and try new things. Yeah. Um, I would definitely say I, I lean towards that. I don't, uh, as far as like exploring, I don't, uh, not coming from a conventional, you know, um, background of having studied the, the, you know, enology side of things, which is, you know, where the science of winemaking is. I have a clear understanding of it, but I also, um, I personally like to try things differently on occasion, even if in smaller batches. Um, I like to play with um, what we do with our fermentations. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we've just, some of the equipment I just referred to earlier that we've bought recently uh, has, you know, it's going to make some adjustments to the winemaking just because of the equipment we bought. Um, and then the, the procedures of how we handle it, um, in these early stages, you know, during harvest, um, you know, I have this, this conversation with our interns every year about how they're helping us raise our children. And, you know, when they, sure. the babies, the babies show up as grapes and we, what we, you know, do to them and the, the approaches we do to them are going to be, you know, extremely important to the type of wine they develop into. So, you know, here's my analogy of, you're helping us raise kids and this is like them going all the way up through high school while you're going to be here helping us in these couple few months. And, you know, the way we raise our children early on is going to help, you know, develop into the kind of. Yeah. It defines who they are later on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if, uh, if going to barrel might be like going to college, maybe (laughs) sure that part, you know, transfers, but um, you're going to help us raise these kids and, you know, you're helping us, um, do all the hard work, the heavy lifting, um, but also there to be our eyes when we're not around to make sure that, you know, if something's going wrong, if she's misbehaving, you know, we need to know. Um, yeah. And so it's it's um, it's that mentality that I've been successful with, um, but in the same 
you know, I like to veer out of the lane a little bit and try new things. Um, barrel, barrels can be a whole other conversation. Where Well, that was my know, next question like for you. You know, I know soil and I know vines are very important, but I'm, I'm assuming barrels are really, really important as well. Yeah, I you know, I'm coming from the restaurant industry. Restaurant industry, I like to like use an analogy with that of you know sourcing the the produce, sourcing the meat, um, your dairy products. You know, from the right kind of sources, will will start you off absolutely in the right lane. Like you want to make sure you're getting all of those things from the right source. Um, if you bad if you buy bad meat, it's a heck of a lot harder to make a good dish out of it. Um, buying the right kind of you know ingredients, which I know <laughs> I know both of you are very adamant about and passionate about. Uh, if we were talking about just food, but um, those things are important. But then when we talk about barrels, you know that's where the maturity of the wine develops. That's where uh, a lot of the unique components that we build into the wines with that interaction with oak. Um, can be a, a huge, um, you know, additional um, quality level or style. Um, so it's much like, you know, most winemakers will refer to barrels as their spice rack, and it's much like the chef. You know, if I gave you and Chris the exact same piece of meat and I told you to, you know, go your own routes on how you want to prepare that meat, I mean, you could, you could grill yours and, Chris broils his, and you've got a dry rub, but he's got this marinade, and then, you know, he likes to, you know, do it, you know, low and slow, but you like to do it, you know, sear it and get it, you know, you know, juicy in the middle. And, yeah. Um, you it's know, a great it's, analogy. It's all those techniques. Yeah. Yeah, and and even the spices that you would use differently will, you know, transform the dish. So even though we started with the same thing, we could do the, the same meat, we could do the same analogy with uh, grapes. If we started with the same grapes and you guys each, each went off and did your own thing, we would create two different wines. And, you know, I think that's what's what's really fun and amazing about winemaking is, um, you know, every year you get to kind of, you get to create a new dish, you know, out of even the same vineyards and making the same wines over and over again. And while I, I think people want to see, you know, your style, they also appreciate when it, you know, you have you throw in some extra this, that, and the other, and, and kind of, you know, even you know, take the dish to another level, so to speak. So, now your barrels, um, do you do just French oak, or do you do French and American oak? We do um, mostly French, um, but also some American and some Hungarian. Some Hungarian, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, and, and those come those those are. T- Primarily in, in um, Arzin and Petit Syrah wines. Uh, we also do it with that mixed mixed field blend that we talked about earlier. But um, these are barrels that we worked on with one of our cooperages that are literally all three oaks in one barrel. They they build the barrel with French staves, uh, uh, Hungarian staves, and American oak staves. So that one barrel has all three in it, and we use those primarily for those wines. That's pretty cool. That's got to be uh, yeah. something very fun and interesting to taste once you get that done. Yeah, and I'm, I'm experimenting with some a different American oak and Hungarian as well. Um, my, my belief is that, you know, France is, has the, the history. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm full on belief. I have the belief that French oak right now is still superior. 
But what I also understand is that, you know, we're advancing and rather quickly in both, uh, you know, the U.S., but also in other markets outside of France, like in Hungary. And they just, you know, they have to find, they have to find the right areas. They have to find the right you know, species of, of uh, oak to, to actually choose from. There's, we're starting to actually, you know, plant for the future, whereas, you know, France was the only place that had done that for some reason. Sure. So they had that advantage, and they took very good care of their forests. Uh, specifically to be able to make them, you know, the barrels they wanted. So uh, we, we're catching up. So I, I've been doing a lot of trials. And when I say trials, it's, you know, 10 barrels, and we're going to do it for three years, and that's when we'll decide, you know, does it work for us. Do you need some so additional input? What's that? Do you need some additional input? <laughs> yeah. You want to you come check it out? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Absolutely, I always, I always appreciate another, you know, thought. It sounds very interesting. I'd love to try those sometime, but absolutely. Um, I want to let everybody know that when you say the the mixed fields blend, you actually bottle that. It's called the mixed black on your uh, on your website when they want to order wine, right? Yeah, yeah. That's um, so the the guys who govern us, uh, the TTB, uh, they're part of uh, you know tobacco and alcohol. Uh, Bureau of Firearms, I should say. Um, um, they are, they've long used that terminology for uh, how they define a field blend that they don't know what grapes are in there. So they would call them mixed blacks, which is, you know, a reference to the, the darker colored grapes. And then they'd also do mixed whites if it was a white blend. Um, in fact, our, our, our mixed blacks vineyard actually has some white grapes in there too. It's kind of, that's how odd it is. It's just this big blend. But they're, you know, like I mentioned, 100 something year old. We could actually, uh, we could, or the owner of the vineyard could pay for somebody to come out and map it. You know, it costs a pretty good amount of money to do it. Um, but we're not really worried about that. We're not, we're not here to tell that story. It's more about the story of, this is how people used to grow grapes. Usually it was for their own consumption. We're just fortunate to still be able to enjoy them some hundred years later. So, Yeah, that's that's what I love about it, and that's what intrigues me so much to, to want to try that, and I haven't had an opportunity yet to try that one. But uh, that exactly what you said. It's the way people used to grow grapes, and, and even in Europe, and then they brought that to California, and that's the way they grow grapes just on their little piece of land, their farm, just as part of a, a table wine for, for dinners and, and things like that. I think that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love being connected to the history of that, you know, to have that opportunity is fun because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these vines over the years have been ripped out because, you know, Napa cab is going to sell the best. So we're going to rip that out and make a little more money. So, we're often willing to pay the grower more for it, knowing that, that, you know, they could transplant or, you know, rip out the mines and replant to the cab and they'll get somebody will pay them more money most likely, but we'd rather support, you know, keeping that, that vineyard in, in, in the ground and, you know, have that history still be part of it. So yeah, fun to be a part of. Absolutely. And just so everyone knows, they can go to GerardWinery.com and all the wines we're talking about, they, they can get on there and order them right from your website. And uh, you have a great variety of wines. I think whatever people like to drink, uh, 
you can you you have something for them, no doubt. Yeah, there's definitely a, a fun selection. I mentioned quite a few of them earlier. Um, you know, the <clears throat> even into rosés and some other white blends. Um, the Viognier, we do a Viognier by itself. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of fun stuff out there. And then then if you are a cab lover, well, we got you covered there too. I mean, we our more distributed Napa Valley cab, you'll find you know in your market for sure. But um, so we see here on a regular, yeah, we see here on a regular basis your your cab. And your artistry, which I love, which is, you know, all five grapes in the Bordeaux blend, which I always like those kind of wines. Mm-hmm. And then we see your Petit Syrah, your Sauvignon Blanc. What else do we see here, Chris? Those are the ones that we had in, in my store. Okay. Now, the Sauvignon Blanc, I see probably almost every night in my house with my yeah, wife. Same here. I, I do love your artistry, though, Glenn. That's one of my favorite wines to drink that you guys put out. Uh so it's a really fun wine to to open up and, and share with some people and, you know, have with a nice steak and just, just a really good wine. One of my favorites. Thank you. Yeah. And, and even, even, uh, heading into more specific regions, um, we do a diamond mountain cab. We have an Atlas peak cab, a Mount Veter cab, well, um, how mountain. That was my next a blended. Yeah, you're right into it. I was going to ask you next about your your mountain series of wines because you put out some really good mountain wines as well. Yeah, that that's another really amazing opportunity that I'm very proud to be involved with. Uh, you know, kind of you know, in this at this level when you're talking about sourcing from you know those vines, um, you know, this is this is like you know, it's like buying a wagyu beef. And your job is just not to mess it up, you know. It's yeah. like that. The, the it's a little scary. There, yeah. Yeah. You gotta. You just let, the 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 goal is don't mess it up. And um, actually, um, our, our terminology in the cellar is DFIU. Um, yeah, I get it. Yeah, we got. <laughs> yeah, figure out what the F. Is yeah. Or around Nick's company, it's a don't don't fudge it up. Um, right. But. That that's what I look at these this level of winemaking at that you know we're getting really great quality, um, you know we we actually you know those that's where all of our very premium barrels go towards too you know barrels that we pay twelve hundred dollars a barrel for, um, so our, our job here is to not mess the wine up, um, and then you know at the very last moment the really the funnest part of it all is, um, you know you've got twelve barrels of that you only need to make you know eight barrels worth what eight do you want or you know what mixture of those do you want to do um you know so it's it's a very small production specific you know 175 to 200 you know cases um and then i I was about to mention the uh the mountain today which is us playing with all of those different sources and making one, one blend out of all the mountain fruits so oh wow that's another really fun part um, cause it gets, you know, gets you to play with all the complexity of the different regions. Um, and they're very unique. I mean, you, yeah, I'm just trying to imagine what you could come up with with that. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to find it on your website and I can't see it. He has, um, he's not making that yet, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's out. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I think it's on there. Um, you'll see, let's see, you'll see, um, Diamond Mountain Atlas. 
and Mount Jeter. How those have been our consistent ones, and then how how's been uh, one we've been only able to do certain years. Um, and then the, then there's the blend called Mountain Cuvée, which <laughs> does does also offer me an opportunity to play with uh, in on our Diamond Mountain vineyard that we source from. There's a little Franc and a little Malbec. So that blend will always get a little bit of that too. So it's it's not a hundred percent cab. It, it usually includes a little bit of those too, but um, they're really nice additions to add some complexity to it. Very nice. So yeah, then, all... then there's also the valley regions, which we we do a single designate Rutherford and and uh, Oakville on occasion, and now uh, Calistoga as well. Yeah, I'm looking at that Calistoga right now. I, I hadn't seen that one before. So how long have you had that one? Has it been out for a while? I've just missed it, I guess. Uh, we we introduced it when we opened our doors in, in uh, Calistoga to be, you know. Okay, so about a year and a half. An opportunity, yeah, just to pour it at that location. So Awesome. Well, that's uh, that covers quite a bit of, of uh, Gerard and what you guys are doing there and uh, – Kind of who you are, Glenn, letting people kind of get to, to know the guy who who's making all these great wines that we're drinking and sharing with friends. Um, but you, you and Pam have taken on another endeavor. You guys have uh, started something else. You want to tell us a little bit about that? As if you weren't busy enough. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, um, the, the so-called, you know, side job, second job, side project, um, Pam and I started it, you know, years ago. Um, it's always been really small. In fact, um, it's, uh, it's our namesake uh, in the sense it's Hugo Hugo Family Cellars. Um, very unique label. It's, it's when you get a chance to look at the the wines. Pam, I'll give Pam the credit on that. She was she designed that with an artist that was she was always a big fan of, and literally uh, via back then it was via faxes when we first started on it. And um, the lady designed the label for us for trading. We traded her wine. I, I, I couldn't trade her our own wine yet because we hadn't made it yet. But, um, so I traded her some Gerard and other things. But um, the the label is uh, us, you know, playing with our own fun little blends or, or single varietal wines. Um, I get the opportunity to make them at Gerard. So that's, you know, I'm very fortunate that my owner's, uh, allow us to do that and we don't necessarily even make wine every year it's kind of one of those things we make it as as we find sources or or if needed um we play around with we've played around with quite a few things over the years uh so blanc's been pretty consistent we've made a syrah for a long time um grenache um more recently did a, a gsm rosé um we even have a grenache blanc which is uh white blend um, and this label's just been Pam and I um, making it on the side you know and um, it's primarily sold locally here in kind of the Bay Area but secondary well more primarily in, in the Houston area actually yeah we see most it. of it yeah. in Houston and and um, don't you you forgot my favorite? I know I know you didn't do it. It was just a quick oversight. But Vision Quest, uh, the Napa Red Blend that you guys do is is one of my favorites, yeah. along with your Syrah, which is the Adamare. Um, but the names are unique for your all's wines. Did Pam come up with those as well? 
mostly, yeah. The the only one I can really take too much credit for is um, Vision Quest because all of our other wines um, have been Napa, or sorry, excuse me, Latin terms. Um, that she she was you know she thought about the wine and what it was going to be about or the style or whatever, and then you know found the terminology in in, in Latin as the base word and. So I mean, you just mentioned Adamari as an example, and you can you can probably figure that one out. That you know that's kind of the base for admire or be admirable, or, you know. Sure. And its direct translation means to love something passionately. So that was one of our very first wines. So it was a, an easy answer. Um, our white Sauvignon Blanc is called Veris, and that's a Latin term for the production of spring, because for us that wine is you know. Here comes the sun. Let's sit out on a you know our back patio in Houston, Texas, and while the you know the the pool is cool and the grill's getting started, we want you know we want to enjoy some of that Sauv Blanc, you know. And then once the meat comes off the grill, we'll talk about the red wines next. But is that so, Latin um, for porch pounder? <laughs> it should be. Right? I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what the Latin you know history of porch pounder. They might have a different term for it. We should find that. <laughs> Um, that's definitely what she calls it for sure. Um, and then the one I mentioned that I, I guess I could take some credit on, uh, for the name is, uh, Vision Quest. Um, it came about from us sourcing the Syrah that we've, we've made. Uh, and one year the grower came back to me a couple weeks after we'd already picked ours and said, I have some extra. Would you be interested in taking it? And, um, I thought it'd be fun to play with something that's, you know, literally like two weeks later and see what it does. So we took a small amount of that. And as it, uh, matured, I started thinking about what we were going to do with it. And the idea of creating a red wine blend, um, out of it, uh, came about with me kind of playing with some Malbec I had and some, some Cabernet Sauvignon. So that's what the blend ended up turning into was a Syrah, uh, Cabernet and Malbec blend, and um, at the time, you know, become more we become more uh, immersed in the idea of you know that we were you know happy and proud that we've done what we've done with this whole leap, leap of faith to come out here, and um, you know, I, co- I kind of referred to Pam one day about the fact that you know it's kind of like Native American culture. Um, you know, going out and having a vision quest where they send you out and, you know, into the, the desert or whatever. And, you know, of course, in that case, it's usually, uh, you know, induced. Right. <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But, um, but you, you're going out to see a vision of what you're, what you, who you're going to be, you know, as a person and what your, maybe your trade will be. Or, and, you know, to me, it was a fitting uh, term, term for us, you know, you know, jumping off that, that edge to come out to Napa and start a whole new life and a whole new industry. And, um, you know, wine became our vision quest, so to speak. So, um, I, I thought that was a pretty good name and, and we enjoy the wine too. It's a, lot it's of a fun great wine. I, yeah, that and the Adamari are my two favorites, but, uh, like them all, but those two are, you know, a Syrah and a red blend. I like them both. I, I do get a kick out of, uh, I think it was Pam's, I don't know if it was a rule or just she kind of made the statement that when we do this, this is kind of how it's going to work. Do you remember what that was? Um, no, I'm not sure. 
that you get everything before the bottle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, I'm, I'm pre-bottle, she's after bottle. Yeah, that's right. She gets to do everything after the bottle. Yeah. I, I thought, well, that's, that's a very nice partnership right there. Yeah, I, I will admit, though, she has, you know, the more challenging uh, role to take on. Is, you know, it's, you know, at some point you're off of, you know, as much as much passion as you, you have for it, you do need to, you want to sell the wine, too. And she's really good at it. I, I've often, you know, acknowledged that if we ever get to the point where this is all we did, our own label, I'm going to be in trouble because she's barely, you know, even tried that hard in the sense that we just don't have that much time. Um, that if she did a full-time job, you know, selling our wine solely, um, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble because I'm yeah. not going to find more wine. She, she doesn't so. take a lot of crap from anybody. No, no, she doesn't. She's, and you know, she's, um, she's, She's not the the hard uh, you know used car salesman about it. She she appreciates that people enjoy wine for different reasons for you know their own reasons. If you say you know, I don't really care for that, no big deal. She'll move on. But um, you know she she's very uh, very good at like reading people and and just making people feel like you know there's no pretentiousness here. I mean we are. We don't drink wine because we're trying to impress people. We drink wine because we thoroughly enjoy it. And the greatest thing for us to ever be a part of is kind of what this podcast is about is, you know, being uh, connected to food and wine. Absolutely. Um, amongst friends and family. And, you know, uh, you know, even our relationship is, you know, we've known Chris for a long time, but, you know, Rob, you and your wife have been, you know, um, the connection has been through food and wine, and I feel like sometimes that's one of the strongest connections you can have with somebody when you know you find people that enjoy it as much as you do, and, and also enjoy exploring too. You guys are, you know, you're all your whole gang there is um, really good at like, look what I found new and different, and fun and interesting, and introducing each other to new wines. I mean, as much as I I want people to enjoy the wines I'm involved with. I'm as much encouraging them that, you know, there's so many different wines in the world, and different styles and from different places that, you know, it's a, it's a journey. It's never a destination. You're never going to get to taste every single wine in the world. Um, and how, how much fun is that? You know, it's just like we couldn't try every dish, you know, you're exactly right. Yep. We, can, we can certainly, you know, we can certainly try, but you always refer back to the experience you had with, something you ate or the wine you had with that. Or, I mean, even when y'all came down and we did the wine dinner, I mean, I still remember every course of that. I remember And the wines we were sharing with each other, which was great. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Speaking of that, uh, Pam told me, is she coming in in February or, or she and you will be coming in in February? I, I'm hoping it's going to be both. Okay. Uh, and, well, all, all three of us, Jackson. Absolutely. Our son will be with us. But um, so I've got a trip a trip out to Florida. I'm gonna have to work around, but um, hopefully after that I'll be able to come in. So Hugo, wine our family sellers will be doing a wine dinner. Is that a public or is that private? Um, I believe she's trying to book. It's going to be a public. That's why I wanted dinner. to get it out. I thought it was too, and I just want to make sure everybody knows that 
we'll try to get some more information on the uh, the Facebook page and everything about when that's going to happen, where here in Houston, and we'll promote that so people can come out and uh, book that night in February. I know it's still getting worked out as far as the date, but it's going to be somewhere in the middle of February and try to get some people out and fill up that wine dinner and come come kind of enjoy what you guys will be pouring that night with some great food. Yeah, as soon as we uh, firm everything up, we'd love to you know share it with everybody. If you're available, love to have you know people come join us. It's always it's always my favorite thing. I mean, it's one thing to do a wine tasting, but when you can actually you know get people to uh, enjoy the wine with food, and especially you get a, a really excited, fun chef involved, whether it's uh, you know at Rob's house or Chris's house, <laughs> um, those chefs, you know. Um, Absolutely. To get them involved with pairing with it is, you know, and to see what people will do. I mean, I, I think one of the, the craziest pairings I ever, like, just blew me, blew my socks off was coming to a dinner in Houston. Um, and the chef paired uh, our Vision Quest, the red wine blend we talked about earlier, with, you know, the last course as a, uh, with a mole, um, chicken mole. Oh, wow. You know, there, initially in my mind, it was like, what? You know? I <laughs> can see that. What was amazing is what it brought out. It brought to me, it was everything that the barrels add to the blend, like these mocha notes, you know, the the different types of spices, all the things that you use in a mole were, were pulling, you know, those characters out of the wine as well. So when you get to, you know, see that, that um, opportunity where people get to have fun and explore uh, pairing your wines and you know even when it just shocks and awes you it's just like wow i would have never thought of that and it, it was one of the best pairings i've ever had so your point there is don't ever say no that won't work try whatever anybody wants to try i i i think it's always worth it you know? yeah maybe, i agree maybe sometimes it, you know maybe sometimes it's not so great maybe sometimes you fail but it's worth the exploration hey if you fail you're still eating and drinking right <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, and you can't succeed without trying, so you exactly. got to at least try. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, what's what's the future with Hugo? I know, are I know you're not making wines every year, but if people want to get on your website and order some wines, they still can. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're still still offering them, and you'll see us around Houston uh, here and there as well. But uh, our website's um, Hugo Family Cellars. So. Um, and we're uh, we've got a, um, you know a few offerings. There's, you know, it's, uh, for us, it's um, what are we going to do next? Kind of mentality, like we're kind of planning the next phase, so to speak, sure. um, and finding the sources we like. And you know, um, I'm always trying to make it be a little different than what I do at Girard as much as possible. But that said, we're we're trying to plan on uh, doing a cab next. You know, which we've never done. So, um, that kind of, uh, you know, new and different, so to speak. So absolutely. Well, Glenn, man, anything else you want to cover before we, uh, we, we say thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. No, I want to, I want to thank you guys. Um, you know, like I said earlier, it's always amazing to me to, to be able to enjoy, you know, our hard work, um, with people, um, that you know even from our home our hometown so to speak because that's kind of how we feel about houston um it's it's great to to find you know 
people that are so passionate about it. And uh, anytime we can connect with that and, you know, introduce people to it even further when they come out and see us, you know, uh, you know, if, if any of your listeners here want to come and see us out in Napa, you know, get in touch with us. We'd love to have you. Um, you know, to me, it's always a great opportunity to, you know, explore even further. And um, I'm always interested in meeting people that are passionate about food and wine. So, absolutely, um, and sharing that passion with them. So, as I said earlier, it's a journey. You'll never get to the final destination, which is what makes it so fun. So, it's what I love about it. I appreciate it. your. Well, the appreciation of you and your wines are flourishing here in Houston. And I'm going to throw Pam in there, too, because she's a big Absolutely. part of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, definitely part of it. Absolutely. And and I was remiss in, in the beginning. I was thinking about it, Glenn, and I didn't say it, so forgive me. I'm going to say it now. Um, you know, our hearts are, are with all of you up there in, in Napa and Sonoma. I know the fires last couple months have, have been devastating again. But I know a lot of us who are familiar with that part of the country because of wine and because people we know out there, we have been thinking about you. We hope everybody's doing all right. And, you know, guys are always in our thoughts and prayers that uh, uh, when these things happen out there. Thank you. Thank you very much. We um, we appreciate that. It, the, the good, I guess the, the one good bit of news is that we're, we're kind of starting to figure it out and figure out what we need to do to uh, make it less of the problem um for instance right now our power is out um we're, we're kind of candle lighting it uh, as far as wine tastings but um that said it's you know uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep making the great wines hopefully that you enjoy and you know don't be afraid to come out here um we can uh, still welcome you with uh, open arms and full glasses so um you know don't let the Unfortunately, you know, like everything in our world today, the media does make it a little worse, much worse than it seems um, to us, at least. And so, you know, don't be afraid to come out and visit us. There's there's a lot of great wine to explore out here. Well, I think you had us at wine and candlelight. Yeah, I've got no yeah. problem with that. <laughs> right. And, and Sandra and I think we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you again, I think, in March. So I think we're going to try to plan another trip out. And we, we look forward to coming back up to Calistoga and visiting with you again. So, Absolutely. Love to see you. Well, Glenn, thanks for, for joining us tonight. We, we Man, we appreciate the conversation. I had a blast. Uh, got to learn more than I knew before. And I hope everybody listening gets to learn a bit, little bit about who you are and kind of your passion and what goes into you making the wine that you guys put out at Gerard and also at Hugo Family. So... We appreciate your time tonight. Please give our love to Pam. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Food, Wine, and Whiskey in Your Own Backyard. And until the next episode, enjoy your next pour.